God often reveals his truth to us, whether it is about himself, us, or the relationships therein through the natural world. This is revealed to us by Paul in Romans 1, 19-20, which says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This is also true for man-made things such as film, and I would like to show how he does just that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Welcome to Oh How Marvelous, episode 22, and today we will be talking about Avengers Endgame. But first, let me remind you of the drawing for the Avengers playing cards. Um, It's not too late to turn in your um, entry into that drawing, and I will give you further details on how to do that at the end of the episode. I'll try to remember. I think I will. But anyways, um, yeah. Let's get started on Avengers Endgame. I can't believe we're finally here. This is awesome. Um, So let's get into it. So although my theater experience for Endgame wasn't quite as exciting as it was for Infinity War, despite Infinity War's ending, um, I still had a great time with it. I actually went with a group of friends, a different set of friends, all but one guy. I saw the movie with the same guy, just different set of friends this time. Um, and uh, we really enjoyed it. Um, it was so fun. I remember being so hype. So I remember that it came out a week before I graduated college. Um, and I remember like the release date was supposed to be like the beginning of May of 2019, right? But um, they decided to move it up a week. And so it, although it would have been kind of fun, to be able to graduate and then go see Endgame for the first time on the same day, I'm kind of glad it happened the way it did because um, I probably would not have been basking well enough in the celebration of graduating from college um, if it did come out that day. Um, but it was awesome. Um, came out a week before I graduated college. Um, I did see it two times in theaters. The second time wasn't necessarily planned i just happened to be hanging out with a group of friends and we grabbed dinner at this japanese place and we were like let's just go see endgame and i was like i am so down i've already seen it but i am so down to see it again um because i just wanted to have that experience again you know it's just the first time experience of seeing endgame uh i remember cheering or hearing other people cheer when we see the scene where the rat somehow bring Scott back from the quantum realm and that was fun I loved that I was like yes Scott's back um but I just a few moments from my theater experience that I remember specifically 
Um, first of all, like the time heist was just so exciting because um, the throwbacks to all of these previous movies that they did, um, especially Captain America, the Winter Soldier, they had to at least had have five references to the Winter Soldier in this time heist. Um, you got the elevator scene, um, the Hail Hydra, and then you got the th- going back to um, the place where Captain America um, was trained in the army um, at Camp Lahai, I think it was in New Jersey. And so um, just several moments of just nostalgia from the MCU within the time heist alone was awesome. But the moment... Okay, first of all, when Captain America first picked up Mjolnir, that is the most hype moment ever. Um, I, as a huge Cap fan, was super excited in that moment. <laughs> I, <laughs> I remember in that moment in the theaters, I was going, uh, when, when Cap, like, you see he, like, the Mjolnir just kind of goes flying at Thanos, right? And knocks him in the face, and then it comes flying back. And I was like, well, that's not Thor. And then we see that it's Captain America. And I was like, yes, Cap, go ham. (laughs) And, of course, he went ham, and then Thanos went ham on him. But, man, I was so hyped in that moment. Oh, it was, it almost brought tears in my eyes, the joy that it brought. Um, But I remember also, the the few moments later, when, when Sam said, on your left, um, and then all the portals start opening up and everybody comes walking in and they're all just fierce and ready for battle. And the whole theater was cheering, going nuts. It was awesome. Um, like it felt like the Th- Thor's entrance into Wakanda in Infinity War, but like a hundred thousand times greater. It was awesome. I, I just remember those moments so well. And um, it was a fantastic um, first time watching it. A great crowd experience, too. Uh, just an overall wonderful theater experience. I wish I could travel back to that moment just to experience Endgame for the first time. It oh, it was so good. Uh, I can't put it into words. I just can't. And so um, let's just get the gripes over with, shall we? Um, I actually have three, but they're all quite minor. Um, first of all is when after Nebula and um, Rhodes get the power stone they sync up and then Rhodes travels back and and I get that um, Nebula is in, interfered from doing so by um, just the timing of the other Nebula the 2014 Nebula um, projecting yet another of the current Nebula's um, video, um, video drive, whatever. Um, But like, after she goes to radio Nat and Clint to warn them that Thanos knows, um, she sees the beam coming up, right? But like, why couldn't she have just um, gone back to the current time while she was being beamed up? It doesn't make sense to me. She could have avoided all that craziness just by traveling back and that be that but then we wouldn't have gotten the crazy awesome finale that we've gotten so in a way i'm thankful for that um next thing is 
um, when Captain America says, Avengers, assemble. Like, why didn't he yell assemble? Come on. Like, there are so many people that did not hear him say assemble. Like, come on. Uh, uh, the last thing I want to gripe about here is um, the big female empowerment moment. Like, it was so forced. None of them were anywhere near each other. Um, with maybe a few exceptions on the battlefield at the moment that it happened. They just all were like, oh, other women are going over there. Maybe I should go over there too. It, it, it just felt super forced and it just wasn't right. It, it didn't feel right, especially without Nat. It didn't feel right without Natasha. Um, when you have all the MCU women to, there together, but without Natasha, it just feels totally incomplete. And it just, it wasn't right to me. Um, and, and that's why I enjoyed the Infinity War female empowerment moment better um, because it was more organic and it was better to the plot. Um, and that's all, really. So let's move on to my favorite characters, y'all. Um, honorable mention to Thor and Nebula, first of all. Um, again, as I mentioned in the Infinity War episode, Thor has a great um, story arc um move forward going here um and and you could see just how much the loss from infinity war really affected him emotionally along on top of that with losing his mother his brother his father um having to find out that he had an evil sister and having to kill her um and just all this loss that he's had even like the warriors three and all that basically at this point all he has left the people that he loves the most are the Avengers, Jane Foster, and Sif. Um, and to him, the weight of the souls already lost outweighs those of those who he still has left. And so you could just see the story arc there. Um, kudos to Chris Hemsworth for acting out this part so well, even with a fat suit. That is amazing. Probably gave him a good workout too, honestly. Um, but yeah, I love Thor in this movie. I also love Nebula. I, I like to, I like seeing um, the new Nebula interacting with the old Nebula. And just seeing how far along she has come throughout the story of the MCU. And I love it. Um, it's a great reminder to us of the power of redemption. And I'll get into that a bit later too. But my favorite character... I didn't even mention Steve Rogers on this list. That is awesome. Uh, he was just being regular Steve Rogers and just being more of what I've already said before of why he is such a great character. Um, but my favorite character in this movie, surprisingly, is Scott Lang. Because I love how when he comes back, he realizes, holy crap, I could probably help like actually defeat Thanos here. Um, and he... He takes the time to road trip from San Francisco way over to New York just to tell Steve and Nat, hey, we might be able to do this thing over again. And, like, Scott has such a high sense of hope um, in what they could possibly do. Like, he wasn't a part of Infinity War. He, he doesn't know the despair that they ha are going through right now. But he gives them hope for what they can do. And he helps them along the way. And in the process. He 
kind of finds himself and Hope Van Dyne becoming a part of the Avengers organically, and I love it. So that's why I loved Scott so much in this movie. Now, as for my favorite scene, oh, there's so many to choose from, so many. So I have a whole list of scenes that I want to talk about here for a second. Um, the first scene is the very opening scene. You see Clint with his family, and then he just loses them. And the reason I love this scene so much, it just kind of brings you back into the despair that the end of Infinity War brought. Um, it puts you back right at where you ended up in Infinity War, and I love it. Um, and it makes a great transition over to the scene where um, Tony and Nebula are playing um, table football, which is the next scene I want to talk about here. And I, I love it because this is kind of the only scene where we see what Tony and Nebula kind of do in their downtime, given whatever limitations that they have there. And so it's kind of interesting to see the dynamic between Tony and Nebula. Um, they're both pretty good with gadgets and stuff. And so um, it's perfect that they were the ones that survived on Titan so that they could um, fix the ship. And I know that Quill could have been able to fix the ship right too and, and Rocket as well. But I mean, Rocket wasn't there on Titan with them anyway. So um, yeah, I just love the dynamic between Tony and Nebula there. And I, I feel like they created some, some level of bond um, within that relationship there. The next thing I want to talk about is the scene where Thanos is just picking what looks like potatoes that are growing above the ground. And he's just trying to cook his breakfast and like all the Avengers just come in and fight him and are like, where are the stones? Uh, it's a great scene and I love it. I love how Thor doesn't hesitate to chop off his head. And I love that he says, I went for the head. I'll get into that one later. Ah, just love it. Great scene. Um, the next scene I want to talk about is when Steve... Um, it's right after the five years later jump. You see, like, all these empty areas of New York and ships are at harbor. The Citibank Stadium, I think the, the Met Stadium, is empty. And it just looks depressing, really. And then you get to the scene where... Steve Rogers is in a group counseling session, and he's leading it, obviously. And the reason I love it is because um, I, I think it is in this way that he decides to honor the life of his friend Sam, who was doing the same thing for veterans. But Steve is doing it for everybody because everybody um, was affected by the snap here. And so I love that Steve um, wants to honor his friendship with Sam in that way. Um, the next one I want to talk about is uh, when Scott comes back from the quantum realm, he immediately is like, what is going on? And then he finds out about Thanos. He's like, oh goodness, I hope Cassie's not gone. And he finds out that his name's on the list of those who snapped. And so, but in the meantime, he discovers that Cassie is not. And so that gives him a little bit of hope. And he just runs to the house that he that Cassie was growing up with, with her um, mom and stepdad, um, Paxton there. Um, and I just love the moment where they reunite. And it's just so heartwarming. And I think that that's the moment where we start to, um, 
or or Scott starts to have hope right there. Um, well, not Hope Van Dyne, but like the concept of hope, you know. But I love um, just that reuniting scene. Um, he's like, you're so big. Uh, it's a great, powerful, heartwarming scene there. The next one I want to talk about is um, after that, you see a scene where um, Nat just got off the conference call with all the other people. And um, and then she talked to Rhodes and all that. Um, well, Steve comes in and she they get to talking. And I, I love the conversation that they have there because Steve is like, everybody else gave up, but we shouldn't. Um, and sometimes there's nothing you can do. And this scene just generally just shows like what the Avengers do with themselves once they've lost and they, they, they have no hope. Like they feel like the weight of the world is on their shoulders at this point because they're the ones who couldn't defend half of the life in the universe. And so, um, they, they feel definitely the weight of the universe or half of the universe, on their shoulders um and, and they all have different outlooks on the situation the next scene i want to talk about here um is when uh after scott talks to steve and nat about the time travel possibility and so they go to see smart hulk and so i love the scene here where um they're just kind of in the diner and hulk is kind of catering to his fans who are kids at this point really but um I love this scene because it introduces us to um, Smart Hulk really here. Um, how Banner explains how he got there. Um, and how I love the line that he says here, and I'll get to it later. But he's basically saying, like, I saw the Hulk as the disease, but now I see him as the cure. And um, I, I just love that line. And um, I love the way that Nat convinces banner to try to help them with the time travel thing and uh it it kind of you start to see the hope starting to build back up in their in their hearts and minds and so um that's why i like the scene um the next one i want to talk about here is having to do with it's after um those four not those four but um scott steven nat go to see Tony and Tony's like yeah you can't do this time heist it's too dangerous um and uh that night Tony's doing the dishes and he accidentally sprays some of the stuff on the shelf above the, sh the sink and so he goes to um dry off the picture of him and Peter Parker um and the reason I love this so much and you might not realize this, but I want to. I, I like to think that in this moment, um, Tony uh, looked at Peter and thought back to the moment where he first met Peter and talked to him in his bedroom in Civil War. And Peter told him, When you can do the things that I can do and you don't, and then the bad things happen, they happen because of you. And so. I think that Tony was inspired by that quote. He didn't want any more bad things to happen. And he knew that he might has, have a chance of doing something about it. And so I, I love that the 
picture of Peter Parker here kind of inspires Tony to figure out time travel. And so, yeah, I, that's why I love this moment so much. Um, next scene I want to talk about is the time where uh, Steve, Nat, Bruce, and Scott are trying to figure out time travel. Um, and then uh, Scott comes back as an old man, a baby. And he's like, I don't know if it was old me or baby me or me me that peed in my pants. And so I, I obviously love that line, by the way. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just love that scene. It's great. It, it shows that um, there are going to be hiccups along the way of trying to recuperate. Um, so the next scene I want to talk about here um, is when Tony comes back to the Avengers compound finally. And I love, I love that the first person he sees there is Steve. And they have a one-on-one conversation. And Tony gives Steve back his shield. And I love this because um, the, the very first thing he says, he, he shows Steve the shield and Steve's like, Tony, I don't know. And Tony's like, well, he made it for you. And it just shows the character growth that Tony's gone through this entire time. Um, Tony, at the end of Civil War, he makes Steve put down the shield. He says, my father made that shield. And so in an attempt to honor his friendship with both Steve and Howard, or with both Tony and Howard, Steve puts down the shield. But now here, Tony's like, you know what? He made the shield for Steve. I I have no more right to hold this back. And I also love the line where he says, plus, I don't want Morgan to take it sledding. Um, Could you imagine, though? I want to see a scene where Morgan goes goes sledding with Captain America's shield. That'd be awesome. I I just want that scene. (laughs) Marvel, can you please make it happen? Um, If you're listening, um, Kevin, please make it happen. But yeah, I, I such a great scene. Steve finally gets his shield back. Captain America is coming back together. It's awesome. Um, the next thing scene I want to talk about here is when Rocket and Bruce go to visit Thor once they figured out the whole time travel thing and they are trying to get Thor to come back with them to help with the time heist. And so... Thor, um, he's so depressed. And, like, you see the fat Thor, you see the fat suit, obviously. Um, But, like, I love how he uses Stormbreaker as a bottle opener. (laughs) Um, But, like, you you see such the the, the despair that Thor has put himself through. Because, like, basically every single adventure blames themselves only themselves for um, losing in Infinity War. And like Bruce blamed himself and he finally got past that. And so finally he has to show Thor here that it's not your fault. It's not even my fault. Like we all tried our best here and our best just didn't do it. Um, Now could we have stood together? Yes, but um, he wasn't trying to make that point. But like I love that Bruce kind of reminds Thor of the events of Ragnarok where um, Thor brought Bruce out of a bad place and now Bruce is trying to do the same thing back for Thor. Um, Not really doing a favor, but like because he's a friend. 
and he took care of him in his hardest time. So it's he's kind of making the playing field even, so to speak, here. And so um, I love that scene. Uh, I love seeing Korg again and Meek. Uh, I like how Korg's like, feel free to log into the Wi-Fi. No password, of course. Um, but um, I think they did come into the um, final fight scene, of course. That'd be awesome to see what they did there. Um, next one I want to talk about here is um, when they're talking about the time heist they want to do, they're planning the time heist. And um, you see Matt, Steve, and Bruce are just kind of laying down on the floor and on a desk in a room. And that's like, y'all, if you pick the right year, there's three stones in New York. And I love how like she outsmarts the science bros in this, right? Because <laughs> Bruce says, shut the door or shut the front door. And then Tony just sits up like, what? <laughs> and like they're both aghast. And I, I love that Nat just outsmarts the science bros here. Um, it was pretty funny. But I was like, oh my goodness, she's right. Um, now the next scene I want to talk about is during the time heist. Um we see that Steve goes into the elevator with the Hydra agents and he's trying to get the um, Loki Scepter. And uh, he does the Hail Hydra thing. And I, I just love it. Great throwback to the Winter Soldier there. Um, avoided a whole fight that happened um, that um, we saw in the Winter Soldier. Um, next thing I want to talk about here is when Thor gets Mjolnir back. I love it. I love the joy on his face. And I love that he says, I'm still worthy. Um, it, it's fantastic. And then the next scene I want to talk about is um, when Nebula and Rose are going to Morag to get the Power Stone. And then um, they get to talking and Rhodey's like, I, I, I wasn't always like this. Or no, Nebula says, I wasn't always like this. And then Rhodes is like, me neither. And, but we got to make the best with what we got, right? Um and so I love that they can relate in that way, and they had that little moment together. Um, next thing I want to talk about is the entire sequence that happens in the 70s, because I love that um, they're both able to get the pin particles that they need and the Tesseract. I love that Tony's able to um, talk to his father, Howard, and he, he's able to further understand where his dad was coming from. And he actually comes to appreciate and love his father through that. And I, I love that he actually comes to terms with his father as well um, in his own heart. And, and then Steve gets his moment with Peggy. Um, it's very heartwarming. And, and you could tell that when he sees Peggy through the window, uh, he, the look on his face, he has that that slight look of desperation that's like so close yet so far away. I want it. And you, you can tell that that is the moment where Steve decides, if I get the chance, I'm traveling back in time to be with her. Uh, back to be in my own time, in the time that I came from. And so um, I just love the whole 70s sequence. Um, and then also Tony and Howard get to talk about fatherhood and, and Howard tells Tony that the kid's not even born yet and there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. And um, Tony is just um, warmed in his heart by that. And 
and it gives him a different perspective of his father because he always thought that his father just shunned him to the side. Um, but really he sees now that now that he's a father, that some of what his father has done was for his own sake, what was for Tony's sake. And so um, just I love that stuff in the 70s. Um, I loved it. The next thing I want to talk about, well, the whole timeline. Come on. Um, I love, um, gosh, what do you, where do you start with the time heist? I love when Captain America fights his old version of himself. And like, you can see that like 2012 Captain America was a bit more serious than 2023 Captain America. And, um, yeah, but I, I love the fight there. And I love that the only thing that Steve could do to convince his other self, um, to stop fighting was to say Bucky's alive, and that was a great fight. Um, and I love that he could says that he says I can do this all day. And Steve's like, Yeah, I know, I know. Overall, great fight scene. Um, what about next? Uh, what about when Loki gets the Tesseract? Um, I, I love that. Um, everything goes awry. I love how um, <laughs> uh, St- Tony's like. Um, I'm going to get a quick slice, and then he he just gets Hulk smashed out from the door. And that's how Loki gets the Tesseract. Um, and so I, I love that scene. I love the moment where um, Tony is talking about uh, Steve's posterior. And uh, I love Scott's retort to that. Um, and then after um, Steve fights himself... Uh, he's like, yeah, it's true. Um, I love it. Um, going over to Thor and Rocket, I love that Thor is able to have just this one last conversation with his mother Frigga, and I love that. I mean, she she is harsh but loving in what she says to him. She says, um, "You're an idiot, no, but a failure, yes." And I like how he he's like, well, "That's a bit harsh." But, like, I love the conversation that they have, and it gives Thor a lot of closure um, for that relationship with his mother. And I, I just love that moment. Um, it's a beautiful moment, too. I love how Banner interacts with the Ancient One about the Time Stone. And I love that they have this sort of scientific-slash-philosophical debate, and then um, that... Um, the Ancient One is smart enough to realize that um, with Strange being the best of them, or he should have been the best of them, and giving away the time zone to Thanos, that he was doing it for some reason. And so I love that in both instances in Infinity War and Endgame, the Sorcerer Supreme gives the time stone away. Um, and so I, I just love the parallel there, and I love like the scientific debate they have, especially with you have the visual with the um, timeline with the stones and all that. Um, It's just an overall great scene and I love it. But the most gut-wrenching scene here um, has definitely got to do with the soul stone and like you have this interaction between Clint and Nat and they um, argue over self-sacrifice really. Um, Clint feels that he should sacrifice himself because of all the wrong that he's done in the past five years. And then Nat feels like it, it, this is her time to to die, to give her life away. Um, this is what her life has led up to. 
Um, and it would be a big re redeeming factor for her in her life, and she sees that. And so um, it's a gut-wrenching scene, such gut-wrenching scene. And it just goes back and forth between you seeing, like, who's actually going to die here. Um, and, and they kept keep subverting expectations here. Um, and, and then you can see just the pain that Clint goes through because of this. And, um, and we actually kind of see more of that pain through the Hawkeye series, and we'll get there. Um, but, like, the, the gut-wrenching scene, I was... I, when they started the time heist in this movie, in my first time watching it, I was like, oh gosh, someone's gonna have to die in Vormir. Who's it gonna be? And like, um, man, they, they really struck me in the feels when they, um, killed Black Widow for the purpose of the plot that they did here. And, um, I think it does, um, bring her story arc pretty well to a good end, although I hate how it did, um, but just because of the circumstances, I hate it. But um, somebody had to die to get this whole stone. And um, I'm not saying I'm glad it was Nat, but because I, I wouldn't want it for any of them. But uh, I'm glad that it was written the way it was. Um, so, yeah, what a gut-wrenching scene. The whole time heist was awesome and very throwbacky. Um, yes, I did call it throwbacky. Um, I'm going to keep using that word because it sounds funny and cool to me. <laughs> But yeah, I just the the time heist in general was amazing to me. So the next scene that I want to talk about here with y'all is when the big three take on Thanos by themselves. Thor, Captain America, Iron Man. It's fantastic. The lead into it is awesome too because you get all of them recuperating themselves. Actually, Thor's just kind of standing there already. And then Iron Man recuperates himself and then he, he helps Steve up. And, um, you, you get this moment where, um, Tony's like, you mess with time, it tends to mess back. And then like you, the most epic moment with Thor in this movie happens right here is like, he's got his long hair, he's got his long beard, um, and he summons both Mjolnir and Stormbreaker with lightning. And it's a great and epic moment because like as soon as the lightning strikes and he has Mjolnir and Thor Thornbreaker Stormbreaker his beard turns into a braided beard and it's awesome it's a really good look for him um and I, I really enjoyed that that was a really cool moment um I love seeing the big three fight Thanos I love that like little moment where they start fighting him and then you see it's a very quick moment. Um, they're all doing their attacks on Thanos at the same time, but like Thanos is able to defend himself well, and in this, he like takes his own sword and slaps Captain America away. He slaps Captain America with his sword. He doesn't slice at him. He slaps at him. It's weird. Like if I was Thanos, I would be slicing, man. Um, but anyways, he just kind of throws Captain America to the side, and. Um, so I, I love that moment where it's the, just the big three of the Avengers fighting Thanos. And the last moment I want to talk about here before I get to my favorite scene um, is just when the portals open up. Like, come on. Oh, so epic. I, I think it is thus far in my personal opinion and experience, it is the most epic movie moment ever. 
because everybody has come back and like you hear Sam in the background saying, Cap, are you there on your left? And uh, it's perfect. Like it's at that moment where Captain America is standing alone and he's like, I'm going to stand alone no matter what. Um, and I'll get into that moment later. But you see all the portals opening up and like everybody's coming in. It's so epic. The music is Oh my gosh, can we just talk about the soundtrack moment here? Because Portals is a fantastic soundtrack song. Um, it's perhaps a second to the Marvel theme itself. Perhaps my second favorite um, original soundtrack song, or original song from the Marvel movies altogether. Because um, you have that trumpet just playing and then the drums and then the or- orchestra just comes in all together with it ah, such an epic moment like you see them all come in one at a time and i remember the moment when you first see the guardians on titan um they come into the picture and then you're like wait where's spider-man but then he comes swinging in oh everybody cheered in my theater in that moment um oh gosh there's so much to talk about here um in the background behind uh hope van dyne you see howard the duck he has some sort of blaster i think but he's come in all the ravagers has come in all of wakanda like you hear the Bay, um the chanting from wakanda it's awesome and i love that it was the king that entered first black panther t'challa and you get you see t'challa give steve a look of like, let's do this thing. Um, and, and then you got Okoye standing next to him, along with Shuri. And, like, this is an epic battle. A, a battle of epically cosmic proportions right here. And, oh, I can't get enough of that. If, guys, if I ever get into a coma or something like that and I lose my memory or whatever, one, reintroduce me to Jesus and Bible and theology and all that, but two, reintroduce me to the MCU because this moment right here would make that whole thing worth it. Um, and I, gosh, I can't say enough good things about this moment with the portals opening up. Um, yeah, so that is all from my scenes here except for my favorite scene, of course. It has to do with Captain America and it's when he picks up Mjolnir here. Like I, I told you before, I cheered like crazy in this moment. Um, it, and it leads up to it so well because like Thor's down, Captain America's down, Iron Man's down. This is after the big three are fighting Thanos, and like this is towards the end of that moment. Um, and like at first you have the big three fighting them all together, and then they take him on one at a time, and he 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 Thanos knocks out Iron Man, and then he kind of fights Thor. And so, um, after Thor's down and it looks like he might be getting killed in a second, um, you see Captain America, like, fling Mjolnir, basically with a force, um, at Thanos, causing him to lose, get get distracted away from Thor, um, and then, so, and then, uh, Cap, um, summons Mjolnir back to his hands, and that's when you see, it's Captain America with Mjolnir, I cheered like crazy. Um, 
One reason is because, duh, I love Captain America, but also because of the worthiness clause that comes along with Mjolnir in the movie Thor. Who's if? Um, I forget what the phrase is exactly, but it's whosoever be worthy if he if he be worthy, something like that shall have the power of Thor. And I love that Cap is worthy of it. Um, and uh, it gives further meaning to the worthiness clause behind Mjolnir. And it's not just saying, hey, only Thor is worthy of it. This is Thor's whip and it only belongs to him. And I love how proud Th Thor is of Steve in this moment. He was like, I knew it. Um, and because he was recalling back to Age of Ultron when they were at that party and everybody was trying to lift it. But I, I just love it for that moment. It was a great, epic moment. So now it's time to talk about some quotes. Um, first one I want to talk about here. There's a whole list of here, list of them here. So bear with me. Um, the first one is when Tony first came back um, because of Captain Marvel. And then uh, Rocket says something and Tony's like, honestly, until this exact second, I thought you were Build-A-Bear. And ah, just Tony's wit. Come on. Tony's wit is like the most superior wit I've ever seen in cinema. Like, ugh, there's, there's nothing that compares to his wits. There's no wit that compares to his wit. That's what I'm trying to say here. Um, the next quote um, is after, um, it's like right just a second or so before the five-year jump, um, Thor has just decapitated Thanos, and uh, everybody's like, what did you just do? And he said, I went for the head. And I just love the callback moment to Infinity War when Thanos says, you should have went for the head. Uh, just love that. Um, and then there's the meeting um, after the five-year jump, of course, um, with Okoye, Captain Marvel... Rhodey and Rocket and Nebula and they're all handling the um, snap among societies all throughout the galaxy whatever and uh, they talk about some sort of subver subversion under the ocean and that's like how are we handling it and then the quote from Okoye is like Nat it's an earthquake under the ocean we handle it by not handling it and there's a lot of theories out there which turned out to kind of be true that it was supposed to lead up to Namor or Namor with Talakan or what we thought back then would have been Atlantis. But now we know it's Talakan. Um, and so I, I love that it kind of led up to Black Panther 2 in that moment as well. Um, later on, we see Scott talking to Nat and Steve um, and he's going on about the time heist kind of thing. And he's like, I, I know it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but Nat just says, Scott, I get emails from a raccoon. So nothing sounds crazy anymore. And you know what? That is kind of pretty par for the course there now. But yeah, I love that line. Um, we can't forget the iconic line from Morgan. I love you 3000. And I love how Tony handles that line with Pepper. He's like, you were somewhere in the six to nine hundred range. <laughs> and, uh, again, Tony's wit. Um, the iconic "I love you" three thousand line. I, I can't go without mentioning it. And then um, later in that conversation with Pepper, Tony um, with Pepper, P 
Pepper tells him, Tony, trying to get you to stop has been one of the few failures of my entire life. And I love that moment. Um, and then later on uh, in the movie, um, Scott Lang is getting ready to eat some tacos outside at the Avengers compound. And Nebula, Rocket, and then Rhodey actually land at the compound. And I love how Rhodey addresses Scott. He's like, what's up, regular sized man? And then later on, during the time heist, when Rhodes and Nebula are in Morag, they're watching uh, Peter Quill um, do his little dance that he did at the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and Rhodey just looks over at Nebula and is like, so he's an idiot. And she's like, yep. <laughs> uh, what a great moment. Um, and, and I think that that helped him bond too. I think that was pretty cool. Um, the next one is also during the time heist. It's right after they kind of ruin the moment with the Tesseract. And um, there, Steve, S Steve, Tony, and um, Scott are all kind of bickering about it. And I love how Scott just kind of stammers over his words. He's like, Captain, Steve, sorry, America, Rogers. <laughs> and I love that moment. Um, you could tell that he admires Steve, um, too. He admires Captain America. I love that both Ant-Man and Spider-Man kind of look up to Captain America in a way. And both the bug um, heroes. So, yeah, that's interesting. Anyways, but I, I love that um, Scott just kind of stammers over his words here for a second. And then later on, before they fight Thanos at the end, Tony says to Steve, you, you mess with time, it tends to mess back. And I, I love that line. And then Tony just kind of recognizes that. Um, and then I love, obviously, the on-your-left moment from Sam, like, that's iconic, like, they reference Winter Soldier in that moment as well, and then it's just, like, honestly, it's kind of cool, though, because Sam, in that moment, whether intentionally or not, is kind of reminding Steve of the day that he and Sam met. And, and I love that. Um, it's just saying, hey, I'm back. I'm here with you. I'm kind of here with you till the end of the line, if that makes sense. Um, really, the last quote I want to talk about before I mention my favorite quote is, uh, they're in the midst of the battle at the very end of the movie. And um, you see Thor and Captain America stand next to each other, and they both summon weapons. But Captain America ends up with Stormbreaker while Thor ends up with Mjolnir. And Thor's like, no, 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 give me that. You have the little one. And I, I love um, that Thor is kind of starting to get his sense of humor back here too as well. So, but all great quotes here. But the one that I want to talk about, uh, my, my favorite quote here um, comes from Hulk, Smart Hulk in the scene where we first see him in the diner where he has like a bunch of breakfast burritos and a bunch of eggs, which by the way, nowadays that's a fortune worth of eggs. Um, that's a whole ton of eggs too. Um, that's at least like $600 worth of eggs right now. <laughs> and so um, the, the thing that he says here is about um, the Hulk himself. And this is what he says. For years I've been treating the Hulk like he's some kind of disease, something to get rid of. But then I start looking at him as the cure. 18 months in the gamble. I put the brains and the brawn together. And now look at me. 
best of both worlds. And this quote does lead into a biblical theme that I will get into when I get there, um, to the biblical theme section. But um, I love this line because um, it shows that Bruce had a change in perspective of his own life. And so, again, I'll get into that later. So, yeah, that's all I'll say about that line for now. But um, it is a great line, and I'll give my spiritual reasons mainly it is those kinds of reasons that I have that as my favorite line. So I'll get there when I get there. But um, let's move on to the Stanley cameo. I gave it a four and a half. It was, I think, his only cameo that came out after his death. But I only gave it a 4.5 because uh, it just felt kind of bland to me. Sure, he shows up and it's like, make love, not war, that kind of thing. But like... They could have done better with a cameo here, especially for Endgame. Like, come on. Um, it, it would have made more sense to have a more epic Stan Lee cameo in this movie. But instead, they just kind of decided... Um, well, I guess they kind of worked with the circumstances that they had. But they could have done something better, I feel like. So that's why I just gave it a 4.5. Now, before we get to the devotional, I do have a whole list here of other things that I would like to talk about in the film. First one here takes place at the beginning of the film. Um, they're kind of just looking back to a couple days ago on the snap. And um, that you see on the screens the faces of the people that they lost. And when it gets to Nick Fury, you see the look of despair on Carol Danvers' face. And I, I feel for her with her not to the extent that she has of course but you know as a fan you know that kind of thing and so uh, and and the look on fury's face in that picture is like like he's kind of done he like it perfectly matches the tone of the moment for sure and i, I just wanted to highlight that one thing i love in this film other than you know everything else is <laughs> That we see in the battle at the very end, Sam stabs a guy with his wings. Like, what? Uh, that was cool. Um, I, I, Yeah, that's definitely a noteworthy moment right there. The next thing I want to talk about is that um, when they're kind of passing around the Infinity Gauntlet, trying to get it to the van to uh, take it back, take the stones back to where they belonged. Um, T'Challa remembers Clint's name. I love it. He, he says, Clint, give it to me. And I, I just love that. And it shows how good of a man T'Challa is anyway. Um, and I love when Spider-Man, um, he has the gauntlet and um, he's just being bombarded by um, Thanos' army of war dogs. And he says, activate instant kill. And I love that throwback to homecoming. Plus, it just really helps him in the moment there. So I, I just love that. Can we just talk about Captain Marvel's entrance here for a second? I, I loved this because, um, like, we hadn't seen Captain Marvel for, like, two hours at this point in the movie, right? And so we kind of forgotten about her. She's kind of way in the back of our minds. Um, and so um, there's Thanos' ship is raining fire on everybody. And then, um, like, it's like everybody's taking shelter, really. And then they start aiming towards the sky at a specific point, and everybody's like, what is happening? 
Um, and, and even Tony's like, Friday, what are they pointing at or shooting at? And um, then out comes Captain Marvel, absolutely obliterates Thanos' ship, and I love it. And then she takes on Thanos. Um, fantastic moment. Um, well, she takes on Mo- Thanos a, a few moments later, but um, I just loved her entrance. It was pretty epic, and it, it really kind of threw back to her moment in her own solo movie where she could have destroyed Ronin's ships, but it was just a warning like, hey, back off. Um, and so I loved that Thanos had no way of getting back to 2014 if he tried to. And so um, I loved that moment there. It was pretty great entrance for Captain Marvel to come in. But question here is... How did Captain Marvel know what was going on? Did someone signal a signal? Like, I'm sure someone did. It's just for the sake of um, lack of um, detail or uh, for the for the sake of disconfusion, I guess you could say. Like, they could have showed us someone sending a signal to Captain Marvel or something, you know? Um, but anyways, just a little nitpick there. Next thing I want to talk about is the only time we ever see Drax wear a shirt is at Tony's funeral, and I love that. Um, it shows that he has some, some respect, and um, he's willing to do the uncomfortable for the sake of something good, and I love that there. And the last thing I want to talk about here is... Um, I think that this whole movie encapsulates um, Peggy Carter's line from the Winter Soldier when Steve is visiting her um, in her room, whether it's in the hospital or in her room, I think, whatever, um, hospice care somehow. Um, And she tells him, sometimes the best thing you can do is start over. And the time heist really is just a start over for the Avengers. And I, I think that this movie really encapsulates the truity of that line from Peggy. And I think that a lot of Steve's wisdom that he gained um, from World War II came from Peggy. And so I, I just thought I'd like to highlight that there. And so I think that does it for my review of the film in general. Dude, we're already like an hour in. So um, if you haven't strapped in for the ride already, please do so. But um, yeah, I think it's time to get into the biblical stuff. So let's get to the devotional. It reads, In Avengers Endgame, the heroes that survived Thanos' snap from the end of Avengers Infinity War deal with the emotional and psychological aftermath of the event. Five years later, Scott Lang comes out of the quantum realm and suggests time travel through the quantum realm to undo Thanos' snap. Tony is able to figure out time travel and the heroes recover the stones. When they return to the current time, Hulk snaps with a new infinity gauntlet to restore the lives lost, literally, by Thanos' hand. Seconds afterward, a time-traveling Thanos makes his return and destroys the Avengers' facility. While the rest of the heroes recover... The big three, Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America, each take on Thanos in combat. After Thanos knocked both Thor and Iron Man unconscious, Cap is able to hold his own for a bit, and then the Mad Titan beats him up for a good bit, even ripping apart his vibranium shield in the process. As Cap slowly recovers himself, Thanos' army is beaming down to the ground. 
Then it cuts to a shot of Cap looking at the vastness of Thanos and his army. Moments later, Falcon, one of the heroes who fell victim to Thanos' snap five years prior, asks Cap through the comms if he can hear him. This is followed by a series of portals opening up from all over the galaxy, revealing a whole army's worth of heroes ready to take on Thanos and his minions. In 2 Kings 6, 8-23, Elisha and his servant are being sought after by the king of Syria. His men come upon Elisha's camp early in the morning, and his servant was the first of the two to notice this and become overwhelmed with fear. Elisha prayed that God would open his eyes. God answered his prayer and allowed his servant to see an angel army of horses and chariots all around them. This gave the servant great faith in the Lord to bring them out of this ordeal, and so the Lord did. Both the servant and Captain America felt overwhelmingly alone facing a vast army. They soon discovered that they were not alone. Cap had an army of heroes on his side, and the servant had an angel army on his, although having God alone on his side was more than enough. We are never alone when we have God on our side. With God, we also have an army of angels with us, even when all hope may seem lost. Have you been feeling alone in your trials lately? Will you place your trust in the Lord, knowing that He and His army are with you? Will you place your trust in Him, knowing that part of that army is the community of believers that you are a part of, some of which have gone through at least similar situations as you? Who do you know that might be feeling alone right now? Other than your prayers, how can you tangibly help them through their trials or trial? Will you commit to approaching your relationships being sensitive to others' trials and support them? So this very moment here when the portal started opening up, but right before that when Captain America is standing alone against Thanos' army was the moment that I realized that this could parallel that these movies could parallel to these biblical moments and, and this is basically the moment that started up this whole idea of MCU Devos and Oh How Marvelous podcast and um so um yeah this is that epic moment and I'm glad it was because um for one it actually kind of continues um what Steve said in Winter Soldier in with that speech with trying to take down Hydra, he said, if I am the only one, then so be it. And sure enough, he was the only one in that moment and he was ready to take them on. He he stood there. He didn't wave a white flag around surrendering. He didn't throw down his shield. He just stood there ready to take them on as beat up as he already was with half a shield. And so, um, and I really love this moment too. But yeah, this is the moment that um, started the whole idea for um, MCU Devos and then eventually this podcast here. Um, but what I want to talk about here is that um, even when it seems like the odds are against you, when your trials against the world, against the enemy, God's got you. Um, I'm going to read the passage that I was referring to here from 2 Kings. Now, I did give the scripture reference, but just for a reminder's sake, um, it is 2 Kings 6, 8-23, and I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. 
But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told to him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. I know that's a rather long passage, and that took quite a bit of takes for me to get in there, but um, it was so worth it because I believe that the Lord blesses the reading of his word. And this passage just comes to show that no matter how alone you may feel in something, whether it's a trial or in pain or some sort of emotion, some sort of experience, you are not. Um, and if you are in Christ, you have a whole army of angels on your side willing to help you. All you have to do is ask the Lord, and he will help. And, and he will see your great faith in that, and he will honor that, and, and he will help in his way. Um, and that's the important thing there, to recognize that God has his own way of helping you. It may not turn out to be the way that you were expecting or hoping, but he will help. And and sometimes you might see that it might be a great blessing. It might be a greater help than you were hoping for. And so the Lord is gracious in that way. Um, I, I get more into that later here with a few more biblical themes here too. But the first other biblical theme that I want to talk about um, comes from the moment where... Um, well, actually, two moments here. Um, the first moment is when Steve is counseling the group counsel session um, right after the five-year jump. 
and also um, when Nat is going to um, get Clint and she goes to Japan and um, uh, Clint says, don't give me hope. And she says, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't give it to you sooner. And, and the point here being is that Steve and Nat here were just being a light in the darkness to everyone. Um, Steve was giving people a chance of hope of recovering. And Nat was giving Clint a chance of hope of um, recovering his family. And so uh, just be a light in the world. In the world, you, you never know how little, how, how great of an impact your little acts or words might have on someone. Um, and I'll get into that one a bit later too. So just um, be a light to the world. Um, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I know I spoke quite a lot on this topic in the first Avengers episode, um, the one where Loki's the bad guy, um, where he says, a warm light for all mankind, and I go into the fact that we are to be the light of the world and that we are to reflect the light of God. Um, we are to be the reflection of God's image onto the world. Uh, and that's why that God gives us that image of God, um, that Imago Dei, um, from the very beginning of creation. And so we are to reflect the Lord's light onto the world. The next thing comes from the favorite quote that I actually gave, where um, Banner is talking about seeing... Um, starting to see the Hulk as a cure rather than the disease. Um, and sometimes God decides to give, give us blessings in disguise, right? Um, I think back, man, the story of Joseph just makes me think of a lot of things um, in the Old Testament. Um, a lot of bad things happen to him. Um, he's sold into slavery in Egypt by his own brothers. But in the end, um, it was because of this that God blessed um, the people of Israel. He was able to preserve his covenant with Abraham as um, being the father of many nations and being um, the father of a great nation as well. And so by that, he was able to um, save a lot of people from this great seven-year famine. And it was a blessing in disguise for Joseph there. And he was able to reunite with his brothers, and it was beautiful. Um, and so sometimes what we believe and see as this curse might be a blessing in disguise from an even greater curse. Um, so I love the way that the Hulk displays this in this film. The next point I want to talk about actually is um, two points in one moment right here. Um, it's the moment where um, Tony is looking at the picture of Peter Parker while he's cleaning the dishes, right? Um, and uh, I want to point you to the verse, 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young. And it, it has to do with the impact that um, Peter had on Tony and Peter didn't know how much of an impact Tony had on him. 
it like Peter's impact on Tony's life encouraged Tony to want to get him back. So therefore he wanted to figure out time travel, right? And so um, I think Tony as well in this moment was like he had a son figure in his life and, and he just wanted to be that father figure for for Peter as well. And I love that. And um, so now that he's a dad and, and he has this little girl, um, I think that he longed to have that son figure back in his life. And so um, just don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, whether it's because of the impact that you have on their life in a certain moment or throughout um, the years of being with them. Um, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for them in speech, in conduct, in love, and in purity. And um, that last one is a tough one to do, especially for me, in purity. Set an example in purity for those that go before you, go behind you. So I, I love that this moment gives like kind of two lessons. You, you never know what kind of an impact you will have on someone. The next biblical theme that I noticed that comes up um, comes from the moment where um, Scott, Steve, Nat, and Banner are trying to figure out time travel. And instead of pushing Lang through time, they ended up pushing time through Lang. And this kind of pointed me to the passage in Proverbs 13.20, which says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Which basically that boils down to um, if we're Christians and we want to convert others to Christ, um, sometimes it's not wise to um, go into a whole group of people who don't know Christ. Um, and I'm still kind of um, learning this kind of in my life too. I want so badly for these people to know Christ, right? And um, but but you can't force them there too, right? Um, you got to honor their free will that the Lord has given them, and in that honoring the Lord. Um, but um, you might think that you might be having a positive impact on a whole group of people when in fact um, what's actually happening is that they are collectively having a negative impact on you, and they might be drawing you further away from the Lord. Um uh, that's why it's important to have community. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Maybe bring in some friends with you that are willing to take on the task with you. Um, for You can't do it alone. We are meant to do this together in community. Um, the Trinity, for example. Um, we worship the Trinity. God is three in one. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The God himself is a community. Um, uh, not like as a whole generalization but like god himself lives in community and so we are to follow suit with that example so it is wise for us to um, take counsel in other believers in these endeavors and to maybe even bring other believers into the endeavor alongside us who are willing to pray alongside us to work alongside us to do this that way we might be able to collectively have a better and positive impact on those around us. So this next moment that I want to talk about comes from when Tony comes back to the Avengers compound finally and 
he finally decides to give Steve back his shield after seven whole years. And so, because um, we can't forget that Civil War took place two years before Infinity War, and then there's the five-year blip. But, um, yeah, Steve went without a shield for seven years. And the thing that I want to um, talk about here is when Tony says, turns out resentment is corrosive and I hate it. And how true is that? It makes me think of King Saul from the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel, right? Um, he kind of gains this resentment for David because he recognizes that the Lord's anointing on him is no longer and it is transferred over to David. And so he has resentment for David and it's corrosive and it's eating at him. And you can tell this by the fact that he time and time again wants to kill David. Um, and then David is just showing his mercy on him. Plus this line kind of calls back to the moment in Civil War where um, T'Challa is telling Zemo that vengeance is consuming them. It has consumed you. I'm done letting it consume me. And this is that sort of moment for Tony here. And so he's letting go of that resentment. And he's actually in this moment in his own way forgiving Steve for um, holding back a very vital truth for his own life. And I, I love that. It it's letting go of that resentment and just letting peace take over his soul. Um, the next moment I want to talk about here um, it comes from when Rocket and Banner, um, Smart Hulk really, are going to New Asgard. And as they're entering the city or town, um, Rocket's kind of making fun of the people there and Banner's like come on bro chill like they've lost their home their planets um, and their king all within like 24 hours like they're probably just glad to have a home now and so this moment here is just a great reminder for all of us to count our blessings um, I think of the hymn that says count your blessings name them one by one Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Because when we do count our blessings, we truly look at our life like we have a roof over our heads. We have clothes on our backs. Heck, we have... If you're listening to this podcast, you definitely have the means to listen to music and possibly even communicate with people via the phone. Like, count your blessings here. Sometimes your blessings definitely far... Sometimes. What am I talking about? All the time. Your blessings, if you are in Christ, they far outweigh those little things, those petty things that you might be going through. Uh, you failed a test. So what? It's one test. It doesn't determine your salvation. It doesn't determine the way God sees you. And it certainly should not determine the way that others see you. Don't let... The way others see you in their humanness and their fallenness determine the way you see yourself. So count your blessings. Name them one by one. Name them and thank the Lord for them. Like Take the time to thank God for the blessings that he has bestowed upon you. Because um, it is a very humbling experience and it, it can lead us to a moment of peace. True peace in, in his name. The next moment that I do want to talk about here 
is um, from when they go back to Asgard, actually, Thor and Rocket, and Thor's talking to his mom, Frigga, and um, she says, an idiot? No. A failure? Absolutely. And he says, well, that's a bit harsh. But um, what she says about that is that being a failure, having failures in his own life makes him like everyone else. And it just, it kind of puts him on the same sort of playing field as the humans that he is fighting to defend, as the lives he's fighting to get back and defend. And so um, I, I think about Peter here in the Gospels, how he denies Jesus three times as Jesus had foretold him that he would. Um, and even Peter before that, or in that moment where he is told that he's going to deny Jesus, he says, Jesus, I would never betray you. And yet he did on the dot, as Jesus said he would. And then at the end of the book of John, um, Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection. And Jesus has this one-on-one -on -one time with John as to, over a breakfast of fish, right? And um, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And he asks again, and Peter gives the same answer, and he says, feed my lambs. And then again, feed my flocks. Um, and so, for one, it's giving Peter that chance to take back each moment of betrayal. But at the same time, it's just for Peter re-irritating God's grace for him. He, he recognizes that what Jesus had just did for everybody on earth was for him as well. Um, so Jesus died not only for our sins, but for our failures toward him, which are essentially sins, yes. But um, God loves us despite our failures. And, and he wants us to succeed, and he wants, us to see, wants to see us succeed in the free will that he has given us. Um, and he extends grace to us all the more in that. And that grace that we have should be our strength to carry on in life. Because the fact is, our failures have nothing to do with God's love for us. It doesn't change that fact one single bit. And that is why God is so gracious to us. The next thing I want to talk about here um, is when... Well, the two nebulas are talking to each other. Um, and New Nebula, um, well, current Nebula, should I say, is saying, you can be so much more than this. You can get past this. And Old Nebula is like, I am this. And I, I love the contrast here is because we see the Nebula that we first was introduced to versus the Nebula that we know now. And it shows that we are not beyond redemption. Nebula was a very resentful person in Guardians of the Galaxy. And now we see that she has been redeemed from that and that she has joined in her sister's cause to fight Thanos and, and to defend what she knows is good. And so um, just know that you are not too far gone for God to redeem you. Um, I think of Paul in the New Testament, also known as Saul, really his name is Saul. It's just a matter of differences in language um, from Greek to Hebrew and all that. Um, but 
Saul was the worst person to the church at the beginning of the church. And then Jesus redeemed him. Jesus met him on the road on the way to Damascus, and he got saved. And he completely changed his perspective. He was transformed by the renewing of his mind, as Paul himself writes in a later letter. And so, um, if God can transform Saul um, from a Christian murderer to a and the world's best evangelist that we have seen throughout the history of the church, then he can redeem you too. You are not too far gone. Please know that. You are never too far gone for Christ. Because if, if God's sacrifice was for everybody, it's for you too. If Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was for everybody, it was for you too. For his power is made perfect in our weakness, guys. Um, and he uses our weakness to bring forth his power in our lives and the lives of others as well. Um, for, uh, 1 John three sixteen right? And 17. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It doesn't say that, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that some might be saved, right? It says that all who may believe might be saved. And so... You are not too far gone. Count your blessings. Um, for the Lord loves you. Not necessarily as you are in living in your sin, but be because he knows the purpose he has for your life. And you are redeemable beyond even your comprehension. We see here um, another moment that I want to talk about um, is at the very end of the film. It's right before the funeral scene for Tony. And um, after the battle, obviously, Hulk has snapped everyone back. And um, you see Clint reuniting with his family. You see um, the people in Wakanda. You see Shuri, Ramonda, and T'Challa all reunited in Wakanda and just looking over the city and just basking in the celebration of it. And everybody's just enjoying having their loved ones back. Right, and, and they're they're taking advantage of every little moment they have with them, uh, even Scott with Hope and Cassie, and so um, it, it kind of reminds me of the joy that we as Christians will have when we come into heaven, when when Christ calls us home someday, that we'll be able to see the loved ones that have gone before us into heaven. Um, and be reunited with them. It will be such a joyous and happy day. Um, and so I really look forward to that. I know of some people already that I look forward to seeing my grandfather, my former youth pastor, my friend that died in high school that I told you all about. I am looking forward to seeing them in heaven someday. Um, and of course, I'm looking forward to see the ones that go after me as well. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome them home um, to heaven with me and tell them all about it, um, show them the place. You know, um, I imagine that 
there's going to be a lot of tours going on around heaven, you know, but um, it's probably not going to be like that. Let's be honest. Uh, we don't know what heaven's like. We, we don't know what heaven is. Only Jesus says heaven is like this. Heaven is like that. He gives similes and metaphors about it, um, but he never says this is what heaven is because we're not ready to know about it, right? But I'm very much looking forward to um, the day where I'm called home and I can be reunited with my loved ones who have gone before me at that point. Um, of course, there will be loved ones that I have right now um, living on earth with me that will go before me into heaven. But I look forward to that day um, when I'm reunited with my loved ones in heaven, for sure. The last moment I want to talk about here for biblical themes um, comes from when Thor is, after he's talked to his um, Frigga and he and Rocket are getting ready to go back to present time. Um, he He's ready to go back in time, or go back forward in time to the present time, I guess. And so um, he's like, wait! And he holds out his hand, and eventually comes Mjolnir flying to his hand. And for one, I like to think that in this moment, the, the Thor of that time had Mjolnir, and it just kind of flew away from him, and he was so confused. Um, but anyways, um, he has Mjolnir, and he says, I'm worthy. I'm still worthy. And I love that because in his despair, like, the worthiness to wield Mjolnir, Mjolnir, Mew for him, uh, was his measure of a man, right? Um, as Frigga said earlier in that scene, where a measure of a person, um, that that was his manliness measure, and so um, I, I think that kind of metaphorically translates to, um, in Christian terms, that we are still worthy of God's love no matter what we do. I, I've I've said that before. You are not too far gone. We are still worthy of God's love. Um, I mentioned Peter earlier, just think of that too, um, and, and Saul, Paul, and even King Saul. If he had just returned to the Lord, had repented of his sin, he, he would have been graciously given back the Spirit, I think. Um, but he never did. And so um, I, I think we can strive to be more of a New Testament Saul, Paul, rather than King Saul. Um, but you are always worthy of God's love. I remember back um, summer, halfway through high school, I was at youth camp, and this guy came in to speak um, for that week of camp, as per usual, at camps. And um, that Wednesday night, he gave just the usual sermon of God's unconditional love, like, you're not too far gone, just the thing that I've just been telling you. And like that, my whole time I had grown up in the church, right? And I knew that God had unconditional love for me. I knew it in my head. But at that point, I didn't know that I did not know it in my heart. And that was the night that the Lord transferred that message from my head and it seeped, it poured down into my heart. I remember um, that night in the worship service um, during 
the worship, the musical portion of the worship, because the whole thing is worship, right? And even the way we live our lives. But I remember during just this upbeat song, I don't even remember what song it was. Um, I remember in the middle of it, I was jumping up and down, singing along, jamming, worshiping to Jesus, worshiping Jesus. And I just remember pausing, standing there. And the Holy Spirit said to me in that moment, tonight, the message is for you. And I said, okay, God, I'm down for it. Let's do this. And then I, I continued on worshiping. And then, of course, he gave that unconditional love for you from God sermon. And like at the time, I had been struggling with some habitual sin in my life. And um, I knew that I shouldn't have been doing it. But again, it's habitual. You can't just quit cold turkey and that be that. Um, but the speaker, his name was Matt. Um, at the end of the sermon, he called. And I remember during the sermon, I was teary-eyed. I was just crying. And, and I had back, that was back when like camelbacks were popular. Um, so I could just like drink water from there, right? And so... Um, I remember crying hard in there, like not sobbing, but like tears were definitely flowing down my face. And Matt called for communion that after the sermon. And I remember being the first one, I just shot up and I ran down there. I partook of communion and then Matt gave me a big hug. And then I went and down prayed at the altar. And, um, that was the night that the message of God's unconditional love for me seeped down from my head to my heart. Um, I think of Psalm 133, I believe it is, where um, it talks about the oil of anointing flows down from the head, down the beard, down to the garment, and down to the hem of the garment. It's just the message of God love, God's love to just seep down like anointing oil over my head, through my head and finally into my heart. And that's when I finally accepted that unconditional love for me. I thought I at that point that I had, but sometimes it's the thing that we don't know what we don't know, right? And so the message of God's love had finally seeped down into my heart that night. And I am forever grateful for that night. I always mentioned that story in my testimony. Um, so just know that God's love for you so unconditional. Um, the prodigal son, of course. If you look at Luke chapter 15, um, Jesus gives three parables. Um, one is about a shepherd who lost 99 sheep, right? And um, who, who has 99 sheep, lost one, or has a whole total of 100 sheep, lost one, so now he has 99, right? So he leaves the 99 to go find the one. Um, God loves us so much that he's willing to leave the 99 to find the one of us, right? Um, the next parable he gives is about a woman who has 10 coins, loses one of them, um, goes, doesn't stop finding, doesn't stop searching for that one coin until she finds it. And then when she finds it, she has this celebration for it. And then the next parable is the most um, lengthy one of the three um, it's the prodigal son, and you could find that in Luke chapter 15. I'm not going to read it for you here. Um, but basically, this man, he has two sons, and then one of them, 
uh, says, give me my inheritance and then I'll leave. Um, which is a very rude thing to do back then and even now. Um, but he does so and um, the, the guy leaves and he just basically wastes the money of inheritance that he has. And so he comes back home um, and the father welcomes him with open arms. He even comes running to him, which is uh, not a custom of the day. The, the old men don't really tend to run back then or it wasn't even customary back then. And so, and in this act, um, he has his servants prepare a feast and uh, kill a fatted calf. Um, for a big feast and his brother comes to resent that and he's like father i've been with you this whole time why have you welcomed him home um and just know that even if you are someone who follows christ day to day and feel like someone else is getting much more grace than they deserve maybe you need to look within yourself to see Am I extending the same amount of grace that I should to this person as well? Am I being like Christ and extending grace to this person? Because let's not forget where we came from. We need grace too. We constantly need grace. It is grace that brought us to him in the first place. And so um, you are so not unworthy of God's love. Never. There has never been a moment where God did not love you. There's never been a moment where God did not take away any bit of his love for you. Um, and so I think that does it for all the biblical themes here. Um, this is a long episode. Um, I think this is the longest episode as of now. So even longer than Civil War. Um, but anyways, um, you can look for us on social media here. Um, you can find this podcast on Facebook. Just look for MCU Devos on Instagram at MCU Devos, on Twitter at MCU Devos Podcast, and on TikTok at Oh How Marvelous Podcast. And you can also find us on YouTube. Just search for Oh How Marvelous Podcast and you'll find it there. Everywhere you try to find it um, with these social media pages, um, just look for the logo you see on your podcast platform and it should match up. Um, be sure to give a like, a follow. Um, be sure to interact with me on those places too. And on our TikTok and YouTube, we do have some extra special content um, where I give my reviews of new stuff coming out. I know I have reviewed Black Panther Wakanda forever, and I do plan on doing the same thing for Quantumania when it comes out. I have bought my tickets for that for that Friday night. Um, well, my ticket, I'll be going alone yet again. But anyways, I'm excited. I can't wait to see it. Um, we'll see what happens with Kang here. Um, but I did mention earlier about the drawing for the Avengers playing cards. So um, it's not too late to enter. Um, you have until basically the 30th of January um, of this month, really, to um, enter. And how you enter is you will send a either written message or... A video of you describing your favorite moment from either the podcast from the mcu or from the bible or a combination thereof either way and explaining your answer and then i will get your name entered on the list for the drawing 
and how I do the drawing will be determined by how many people um, are on the list there. Um, I do already have one person on the list, so they're guaranteed to get the thing unless you enter your name on it, um, which they'll still probably have a chance, but you'll also have a chance to win it too. And so be sure to enter for your chance to win an Avengers deck of playing cards. Um, you can look it up on YouTube and the TikTok to see the original video there where I give you a sneak peek of what the cards look like. They are really cool, y'all. You do not want to miss this. They're not just this simple artsy-fartsy kind of stuff. It's it's very well designed and very well kept playing cards. Um, they're, they are unopened and still in their plastic. So please be sure to enter for your chance to win this deck of cards. It is amazing. I have a deck myself. Um, you can ask me about it, message me about it, whatever. Um, but please, I, I want to be able to do a drawing and not just be like, hey, uh, the only guy who entered the contest won. So yeah, please make it interesting for me, man. Um, like I want you to be able to have this deck of cards. And on that note, I think I have covered everything. That does it for Avengers Endgame. We'll see you next time when we cover Spider-Man Far From Home on Oh How Marvelous. Kiss me once again, it's been a long